Perfect. Testing. This here. Miss Kim Avant Bab, right? Bab as an ab, Bab. Bab. Yes. Okay, gotcha. And avant garde. Avant garde. Well, avant. Like avant, gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Um, perfect. And um, so I'll do Welcome to the Work and Play podcast. Um, it's not recording yet. That is, though. Welcome to the Work and Play podcast. Um, I'll do my host thing, and then I'll let you kind of take it away, and then we'll get into the story and similar to what I just told you, um, getting into the purpose, because we did do Wisdom Wednesday, but I think a lot of it's going to overlap. Mm -hmm. So just share your story and speak to the people. Um, because the biggest thing is, so because the Work and Play podcast is um, for professionals who want to lead their, you know, go from corporate to entrepreneurship, mm -hmm. in different ranges, um, we oftentimes talk about how do you create the exit strategy. Yes. But I haven't taken the liberty to talk a lot about the purpose mm -hmm. and about the leap of faith part of it. Mm -hmm. A lot of it, I talk about the strategy, mm -hmm. but then there comes a time where you have to trust yourself. And I think you, you speak from a place where you trust yourself. Mm -hmm. So essentially, that's that's where I'm, I think we should go with it, and then we'll just kind of ride it out. Absolutely. Okay. I don't have lipstick on my teeth, do I? No, you're perfect. <laughs> Here we go. <clears throat> Welcome to another episode of the Work and Play Podcast. I'm your host, Arielle Young, and today we have a really grounded guest. One that I'm really excited to share with you guys because I've been getting mentorship all weekend. So we on the Work and Play Podcast, we talk about the transition from from corporate to entrepreneurship. And many times it's millennials saying, hey, trust your purpose, take the big leap. And for me and others who have done it, that's great perspective. But then you have the perspective of being able to follow your passion um, at your wise age, at this step in your life. So, you know, without further ado, I could go on and on about how much you've like filled my cup since I've met you. Yeah. But without further ado, would you introduce yourself? Absolutely. So I'm Kim Avant Bab. I am a daydreamer and a serial entrepreneur. I'm a nana. I'm a fashion designer. I am just uh, filled with just so much gratitude in life. I operate bad properties with my husband and partner and I. We are real estate investors and we have a wonderful small but robust portfolio of single-family rental properties that we've been nurturing and building for the last three decades. I recently launched Legacy Real Estate Consulting as an education arm mm -hmm. to teach small landlords how to find quality tenants, how to generate that cash flow by finding those good tenants who will take care of their properties and, and, and pay on time mm -hmm. and avoid evictions because we have perfected our system over the last 30, de 30 decades, three decades, <laughs> Woo, that's generational, right? <laughs> over the last three decades. And I'm bringing it to the people. We've created a, um, a digital landlord property management document bundle called Landlord Box 30. We have created courses and video training. So I'm excited. That's where I am in my place right now as a serial entrepreneur. And I'm excited to keep growing. 
And I'm excited to have you. You're like the definition of a lifelong learner, right? Like, because you have such success already in your career, but seeing you and working alongside you, we're working on our webinars together, you soak up every opportunity to learn. And you don't give me like, um, I know it all vibes. Like, you never give me, like, you, you're always a sponge, which is actually really cool. So if we get into your story, how do you remain so like open to learn? Have you always been that way? I have. I am a lifetime student. I will be a lifetime student until they throw the dirt on me <laughs> because I'm a creative mind. I'm a visionary. I like to create things from nothing based on what's in my spirit, what's in my, my heart and what I'm passionate about. So that requires continual learning and continual pouring into your psyche. I am excited to be around young people like you and the dream builders, which is how we met, right? right. Uh, because I found, find that children, young people are uninhibited with ideas, thoughts, and, and, and movement. Yeah. So that motivates me, it stimulates me, and feeds into my soul of continuing to be hungry until I leave here and then pour out what I have learned. I came across a, um, a quote recently, or three words that really spoke to me, and they were learn, mm -hmm. which we're talking about, mm -hmm. earn, based on what you've learned, and then return. I feel that's where I am in my journey right now. Mm -hmm. I have learned a lot. I've earned a lot based on my knowledge. And now I want to pour into the community by returning. And that's why you created LL Docs. LL Docs 30, right? Correct. And first of all, I didn't know it was... Um, I didn't know LL was learning legacy? No, it's not. What is LL again? Uh, legacy. Legacy? Well, it's legacy. Uh, no, it's Landlord Docs. Landlord Docs. Landlord Docs. 30 represents the three decades that we have been in business and it took us to build this document system, Landlord Docs 30. So now that you're in the return stage, um, does it feel less, like does the road to your purpose, does the road to stick to your purpose feel any less shaky than it was when you were earlier in your career? No, no. As a matter of fact, my 10 toes are down mm. and I am standing firm in my purpose because it's freeing. I feel free right now. I think I've shared with you and, and to the audience, I have just retired from my nine to five, uh, 23 year career at a very, very wonderful place in my journey up in my career. Uh, it was a year in September. Uh, that I've been retired from a nine to five and telling you, I feel free <laughs> to, 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 to do for me, my family and my companies, what I have been doing for companies for my entire career. Now I can do it for myself. Yeah. So I feel very free, uninhibited, you know, you don't have to ask for permission, get approval, go through the red tape. Yes. I'm snapping a finger and I'm moving forward and I'm so blessed to have a husband and partner that I do. We've been friends for 40 years. We've been married for 37. He respects me and my my creativity. He's an artist actually. Uh, so he, he, he respects my creativity and my desire to wander the globe yes. and be social because I'm very social and he's not so much. <laughs> That's the part I love about you, like your relationship. Just the fact that you were able to 
have such a long career and then find a partner who's willing to travel that journey with you and grow with you. And He's grow grown tremendously. Mm. We've grown together. Can we talk a little bit about that growth? So when you um, were younger, right? What was your idea of a successful career? Hmm. It was different than it is now. My idea of a successful career was to make money. Mm-hmm. It was driven. I wasn't motivated by money. However, in our society, I believe as you're building your career, the more you make, mm-hmm. the more, you know, substance and, 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 um, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, not acknowledgement, but, um, you know, people are acknowledging your value. Mm, validation. Validation. Mm. That's what I'm looking for. So mm. when I was younger, I thought more along that line. Uh, in addition to, you know, just making as much money to support my family and to link arms with my husband and partner to build a life for ourselves. I got you. So in the first um, stages of your career, were you, um, and and maybe we can take it a little bit further back. What was like school like for you? Did you like, did you have a regular upbringing, which is like middle class, go to elementary school, high school? Like what was like growing up for you? Like, yeah, growing up was was pretty pretty cool. My mother, both of my parents, I love them dearly, uh, but my mother helped really shape a lot of my psyche and ambition, uh, tenacity, and making something from nothing. My mother was a factory sewer okay. and a fashion designer. Let me just say that and shake my shoulders because yes. she 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 was a factory sewer, but she on the side, and maybe that's where my my, 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 my vision came from my energy, my perspective, because she had a fashion design company on the side and growing up, she made all of our clothes from my first Holy communion dress to my prom dress to my wedding gown. Wow. She made, Mm -hmm. uh, so when I was in high school, I gravitated towards art and I was an art major. Okay. Graduated from high school, Philadelphia, lived in Philly. I'm from Philly. <laughs> I was going to ask you, okay, so from Philly, yes. you had a great mom. Mom was super attentive, yes. and you got a chance to see her really do similar things that you've done, like hold down that nine to five and also work on her passion. Was yes. sewing her passion at the it time? It was, yeah, absolutely. How, how would you, okay, we talk about passion so much in 2021. What does it look like to grow up watching your mom feed her passion it was it was stimulating it was uh it was it was motivating it it fed my perspective i always talk about perspective and Mm -hmm. points of reference Mm -hmm. right uh at probably age 12 or 13 my parents separated so i had a single mom three kids we moved a lot uh and what i what i got from her and her creativity was her ability to again always make something from nothing when we moved into a new house that we were renting she would paint the whole house and then paint the baseboards lavender you know she would make curtains for every room Mm. you know what i'm saying so feeding that creativity exactly using her skills to create a comfortable beautiful environment for us so i I definitely pulled a lot from her Mm -hmm. and uh so graduated high school as an art major Went to college um, in Philadelphia, Drexel University, for a year. I thought I wanted to be an interior designer and um, had a derailment, you know, due to health. And then I catapulted into the work uh, field. 
and navigated through different positions because of my art, really, because yeah. of my art background. You would have gone straight into a specific art career. You said you you had a derailment. What what happened that made you not become an interior designer? I had a medical issue. I had I needed major surgery at 18 years old, my first my freshman year in uh, college, and so I had to leave college for that and recovered, you know, prayerfully. It wasn't cancerous at 18 years old. Okay, so it was like you found a uh, like a tumor mm-hmm. and. You're a freshman in college. Yes. Found a tumor. Yes. Like, what was the process? How did you process that? Were you just like one day, like, hey, because we're not talking about no, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was my ovary. I had they had to remove the ovary. Yeah. So I was 18. I just went for, um, you know, typical exam, and and they discovered just a you know oversized ovary, mm-hmm. the size of a small orange actually. Wow. And my mom went into action, took me to the best gynecologist mm-hmm. uh, you know did the, the workup and everything and I had to have major surgery and I went into that surgery not knowing if I was going to have to have a hysterectomy yeah at 18 years old right and so they removed one ovary and so I had it was major surgery so I had to recover mm-hmm. and at that point went through some you know crossroads what am I going to do am I going to go back to school um, I wasn't the first in my family to go to college my sister had gone to college but my parents had they had not gone to college, so you know it wasn't really that foundation to guide me. You can go back, and do, so I I just I found a job. I found a job in mm-hmm. the art industry. Mm-hmm. Got you. So you're saying like you didn't have a push to do one way or the other to no. go back to school or not. No. But then you're also in a place where that's a huge surgery. Like whether you didn't have the hysterectomy, but to remove one of your ovaries, were you like? And and I know my mom. Um, well, my mom actually had children much later, technically, for her generation. She had her first baby at 29. But was your mind on, like, how am I going to have kids? Absolutely. Was Going it? into that surgery, and it was it was explained to me that mm. it depends on what we see when we go in, mm. whether or not we'll have to do a full hysterectomy or not. And mm. it wasn't until I woke up and my mother told me, they just took one, so you're fine. You know, you're fine. Okay. So that was a blessing. Yeah. yeah. So you're at a crossroads. Mm-hmm. Is go back to school. You're also experiencing the the loss of like the your ovary. You're not necessarily sure if you're gonna have children later, but that's because that cuts off like a fifty percent chance, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think super logical. But what I love about like how you're, I'm, what I really want to know like about how you be is when you started to like just rely on his word, right? Mm-hmm. Where you guys did, before you, like before this moment, you're at a crossroads, you're trying to figure out what you want to do. Did you rely heavily on God? What was your spiritual alignment to decide whether you're going to go back to school or just go to work? So I was raised uh, a convenient Catholic. Mm. I'll put it that way. Because <laughs> <laughs> back in the 60s, families especially, you know, African-American families, they wanted the best education for their children. Mm-hmm. And at that time, Catholic school was the ideal place to educate your children. Okay. So while my parents were not Catholic, they sent us to Catholic school. Got so that's it. why I say we were convenient Catholics. Because <laughs> <laughs> like you guys, I, they needed to send you there for a better education. education. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Uh, however, my family, uh, we had a lot of um, ministers, Baptists. And uh, mm. so I was exposed to spirituality very early. Uh, and at 18, I was exploring. Yeah. I was exploring um, the supreme, supreme being, you know, spirituality. Uh, so I was very open, but I was always, I, I always had like that, that 
that navigation of, you know, um, spirituality mm. in, in my life. Um, and again, at that point, I started exploring. I've I've explored many different things. Really? Yes. Like Hind- Hinduism. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm current, I'm Muslim, so mm-hmm. you know I took my shahada like thirty years ago. Uh, but I've always been open to world religions. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious about that. Yeah. So that 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 navigation system has always been deep in my soul. Yeah. That it that there is a divine yes presence guiding my steps. Mm. Now at eighteen years old, mm-hmm. you knew at the time that a divine presence was guiding your life, and you were still kind of tied to the Catholic. Religion. No, I can't say I was tied to the Catholic religion. Mm-hmm. It was just, it was just a convenient, I got you, <laughs> a, a convenient handrail, if you will, yeah. to spirituality. And when you go to Catholic school, of course, uh, you learn all of the tenets mm-hmm. of of Catholicism. So I had that growing up in elementary school and middle school, and uh, I went to Catholic school until I was in ninth grade. So I had that doctrine in me. Yes. Again, mm-hmm. um, however, I was always encouraged to read. My mother was an avid reader, and um, my childhood, my teenage boyfriend, uh, you know, my first guy, uh, his father, who was interesting in that we always had a connection, and as we grew to to know each other over the years, we found out we were born on the same day. He was an avid reader, and whenever I would visit their home, their room, their house, their living room was like this. Yeah. A, a bookcase and yeah. he would be sitting in the queen and chair just reading his book you know so I was always um, exposed to reading so that opened my mind when we talk about spirituality mm-hmm. to, to, to different beliefs got you and we actually teach that to our children our men we have three grown men but uh, even in embracing Islam mm-hmm. uh, we always encouraged our children to read explore and let's talk about it I love that, especially when growing up, I'm only 30 and it definitely was not encouraged to ask questions. You're like, okay, so there's Holy Ghost. Why are there three? You better, don't ask, don't ask me questions. It don't matter how benign your questions are because I think so many of us grow up with a faulty compass because mm-hmm. we don't know him. Like we don't, we don't know him. We're growing, we grow up kind of taught the way that someone else understands spirituality. Yes. yes. And then through that like hand me down understanding, we're lost by the time we get to a situation like mm-hmm. do I go to do I go back to school or do I go to work? You're um physically changing, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of us don't have that compass, right? Mm-hmm. When you think about um all of those different things that you've explored, Hinduism, mm-hmm. Islam, Catholic Catholic Catholicism, mm-hmm. um Baptist, all of those what is the knowing that you have now that you maybe didn't know back then? Hmm. The knowing that I have now, and I am a young 61-year-old. I'm excited to say that. Some women don't want to share their age. I'm so blessed and grateful to have just turned 61. So, uh, in, and I say this, you know, I can about face on my heels and look back in my life's journey and see the hand of God positioning me to be prepared for every step that came ahead of me. Mm. I can reflect back and, and, and recall you know, the moment, the job, the experiences, the preparation, the sacrifice, the you know, 
being unsure, they're making a decision, uh, and, and look back at the chapters and say, wow, he was preparing me for this. Yes. He was preparing me for this. Even though, you know, he made me go through the fire. He was preparing me for this. And I was obedient to the signs mm. and, and the prayers and um, just the reflection of, you know, the decision-making process. Yeah, yeah, just like where I am right now, mm -hmm. uh, having retired after a 23-year career with this, you know, with, with this particular organization with the state of New Jersey. I knew in my soul that it was time. I knew, standing in my own space, yeah. that it was time. Mm -hmm. And as I reflected on, uh, you know, considerate, considering, and the indicators was, were, they were there. They had been there, but I think I shared with you that a crossroad for me in that decision was having a brain injury yes. in 2018. Mm -hmm. A fluke fall on a lunchtime um, airing and I fell to the ground and it took me out for four months and I fought it in the beginning going back to the office like you like, I'm gonna oh, shake I'm fine. this off I'm fine I'm fine and woo I had to take that S off my chest mm -hmm. after about uh, a week mm -hmm. when my body said mm, alright sister girl slow down slow down yeah yes and a brain injury is serious so uh, I was out for four months, and during that time of healing, uh, physically and mentally and spiritually, mm -hmm. uh, again, I was reflecting on some signs that I had saw, and the light bulb went off, and I'm like, wait a minute, this, I think it's time. Yeah. And I, I wrote down on a white piece of um, postcard the date that I was going to retire. I have it on my refrigerator right now. And I went to my husband and I said, I'm out. He, I said, I'm out. And he, he pushed back. Cause you know, you walking away. I was blessed because I had learned I'd earned yes. and I was walking away from a lot of perks, a large salary, uh, you know, company car, all of those, you know, things. And I said, no, I'm done. Mm. I'm done. And, we, and we, and we, 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 meaning he and I, um, we had we had worked to build a foundation simultaneous to both of our nine to fives, mm -hmm. and again was blessed to be exposed to some opportunities, make some good decisions, and and build a business that replaced our income whenever we were ready to go. Whenever, and it was time. Yeah. I saw the transition, and you know he he accepted it because I. I'm out. Yeah. Because I got a lot of work to do out here. I've done so much for these organizations uh, to build and meet their missions, right? To build their legacies. Mm -hmm. Why can't I use 120% ET? 120. Let's yes. go 120 yes. for us to build our empire. Yes. And that's what I'm committed to do now. And I feel so free. Now, you, you say you feel free, but I want to just clarify when you say free, you, it's not even that you didn't like your role. You were excelling in this first chapter. You were mm -hmm. excelling and you liked your job, which a lot of people are like, no, I need to be free because they feel tied down. Mm -hmm. Now, I think you're, the way you talk about freedom, you're, you're talking about now, now you have your 40 hours back, 40 hours plus. 
um, you're able to really truly use your compass to guide every single decision as opposed to like having a calendar with who God knows who knows what, what meetings you have to attend mm-hmm. um, but you developed a really cool career in the state of uh, New Jersey that you enjoyed Correct. so if we go to the building blocks of that career mm-hmm. you made it this, this this was back to when you made a decision to go into the workforce instead of going back to school mm-hmm. and you said it actually still was because of your art background that you got this role so what um, was the first role that you took in, into like your full nine to five career? So, the, and there is a difference between a job and a career mm-hmm. in my experience, okay. right? Mm-hmm. That, that I discovered early on because mm-hmm. I had jobs, fine. Uh, but the first job that really was a career building block, uh, I shifted from the art industry. I worked for just um, a major expo photography company and uh, someone had saw um, a skill set in me and, and offered me a position within that organization that got me into procurement mm-hmm. of all of the supplies and everything that they needed. And um, uh, I was having my second child, and I decided it was time to make a shift, looked into the job market, and back then, you had to buy a newspaper. For the job? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And read the listings, right? And I applied for this position at the University of Pennsylvania back in the 80s. My son was born in 89. And uh, it required a college degree, but it was for procurement. Mm-hmm. And it also uh, was a dual position to manage their minority uh, and business outreach program at the University of Pennsylvania to, uh, to, get, to give more contracts to minority women-owned companies. And that really struck a chord in me. So I interviewed for the position. No, let me back up. I wrote a cover letter. And in the Tell cover us about letter, this cover letter. I said, listen, these are my skill sets. And it would be a disservice to you if you did not interview me, knowing that I didn't have a college degree. Uh, and I got the interview. And I never forget Lord and Taylor's. I think they're closed now, but because my mother's a fashion designer, mm-hmm. right? She always taught us, like, you know, dress like you, 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 you're there, even if you only have a penny in your pocket. Yes. I went to Lord and Taylor's and brought that power navy suit and those um, navy pumps. I had my pearls on. And walked in there and had that interview, and they hired me. I still, to this day, because my son is 30, he'll be 33, I still have that navy blue suit and those navy pumps. Yes! yes. Tell me you can fit it. Can you fit it? I haven't tried it lately. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> uh, just as you know, a symbol of that transition into a career. And that was a phenomenal yeah. opportunity for me in that I was representing the University of Pennsylvania in the region around minority and women inclusion in the procurement process Mm -hmm. and was given some opportunities again was obedient to what I was what I was facing I took Toastmasters because I realized I was going to be speaking Mm -hmm. in various venues and I I really blossomed as a liaison as a collaborator as an ambassador and as an advocate Mm -hmm. for people of color to get some of those billions of dollars that they were spending. So that was my first real career that catapulted me into um, that realm and and was even tapped to leave the University of Pennsylvania and go to a major transportation uh, organization, SEPTA in Philadelphia, to work and help them improve their minority women business outreach in the transportation industry. And again, that was another building block to my career. Yeah. 
Yeah. That's amazing. So yeah. it all started with this very bold cover letter. Yes, and it did. Teaching people to be bold, even in your program, helping people understand to be bold and, and own your career, own your relationships with your tenants, yes. own your like interactions. That was a very bold move, right? Yeah. And then you get in, and I know you said your career blossoms, but what blossomed? But what was the first time, or if you had, if you had any, where you felt like, oh my goodness, I might be in over my head? It's interesting you ask that. I I, I recall, uh, I I like group dynamics. I work I like working on teams, right? So I like that whole socialization piece. And so I was working on this team representing Penn. Uh, around Medweek Minority and Across Development Week in Philadelphia. Okay. Huge um, gala, event, expos. I was working on a planning committee, and one of the co-chairs called me. Uh, Claude, Dr. Claude Anderson was coming in as the keynote speaker, and I got the call, we want you to introduce him. I was like, no, no, I'm not doing that. Click. And I went home that night, I slept on it. I prayed on it. I said, Kim, why are you blocking this blessing? And I called Brother Bilal Prayum. I called him out right here. I called him <laughs> back and I said, you know what? I thought about it. I'm going to do it. And I bought the book and, you know, I prepared myself. I had taken Toastmasters. I knew that public speaking was going to be a part of this role. Uh, I don't know. Five, six hundred people at the banquet. I'm up there introducing Dr. Claude Anderson. And when I finished, uh, you know, my, my colleagues in the group later on as we debriefed, they said, you are phenomenal. You did exactly what we knew you would do. Mm. And so that that instilled a level of confidence in me. Sometimes I believe people see in us what we don't see in ourselves. Yes. If we embrace it and accept it and meet the challenge, then we grow. Mm-hmm. If we don't, then we stay where we are. And at that point, I I stepped up and met the challenge and grew. And, and my wings started to really widen. Mm. And it's crazy how, like, you even you said no to the opportunity and then you went back to it. I often, like, one of the affirmations that I say is, um, um, I am grateful for endless opportunities. And some so many times... Opportunities can seem scarce. Even though I affirm that, I know it, I feel like I would overthink a situation where if I if I say no to an opportunity, you're like, Oh, I'll never get the opportunity again. But something again you told you said, Go back and go back and, and like ask for it again. Mm-hmm. And it was still available to you. So I think what's mm-hmm. amazing about that is if it's for you, it's for you. Yes. And I feel like that in life in general looking back again at the hands of God working in my life that, um, you know, no one can block your blessing. What is meant for you is meant for you. And you are where you are supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Even if you are, you know, on an uptick in your growth process, or even if you're dealing with something that is so tragic and hurtful, Mm -hmm. you're there for a reason. And I think the benefit comes when we can go inwardly and reflect and say, what is the lesson in this blessing? Yeah. What's the lesson in this blessing? And I've had a number of those experiences in life where, you know, life has not always been so rosy and, and kind. 
and you know I'm dealing with like why me what why you know because psychological warfare is real in the workplace yes psychological warfare is real in the workplace mm -hmm. and when you you know mentioned about um, uh, the landlord training that I do and helping landlords you know be better landlords and deal with their tenants I teach the components of the mind shift you really have to get into a mind shift based on your role in that relationship yes and I feel it's the same in the workplace you have to have the mindset and understand that um, you know I'm not gonna say it's a battleground but it's a chessboard yes in your career mm -hmm. and depending on your work environment the company culture uh, uh, your upbringing you have to navigate the positions that you're placed on that chessboard and yeah. sometimes you're going to be a pawn mm -hmm. you're going to be knocked off uh, and be a casualty and sometimes you may be in, in a more you know powerful position uh, so I think understanding our role on that chessboard of, of our career path yeah and uh, just understanding that we need to continue to build our mindsets mm -hmm. so we can navigate correctly yeah, it's funny when you explain the nature of, um, you know, the workforce, the corporate um, environment being like a chessboard, you mentioned like your pine getting knocked off, getting knocked off. And I think for me, what that did for me is think about it in multiple different games, right? Mm -hmm. I think my mind oftentimes thinks of everything as like all or nothing, right? So I'm always like, okay, what move do I need to make now? But what it sounds like is what you're saying is you win some, you lose some. Mm -hmm. So in your experience, what was, I'm curious about two, actually, those pivotal moments, right? Where one, you were knocked off the chessboard, mm -hmm. but then I would really love to, to know when you like played the game right and you walked away feeling like, I did that, girl. And I'm reminded as you asked that question of a position that I was told that I, that was, I was going to get mm -hmm. and it didn't happen and it went to someone else. Uh, and this was in the early years of the three decades of my husband and I building our business. Mm -hmm. I didn't get that position. I'm like, damn, what? Like you said, didn't get it. But I've always had the mindset to work your plan. Like that was in the nine to five realm. Yeah. But I've got a separate thing over here working. Mm -hmm. And that was always like an assurance to me that, okay, this is what it is, but I'm working my plan too. Yeah. And I'm going to be honest with you that fast forward, you know, 23, 25 years that I've just stepped off of the nine to five, that plan worked. That side plan, it 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 it, it blossomed into um, a springboard, like a gymnast. If she's doing the vault, Simone Bowles vault, yeah, Simone. Mm -hmm. She jumps on that springboard and just hurdles over. That's what our plan has provided for us to do, to jump on that springboard and just go over the horizon of the nine to five. Yeah and be and be okay it hasn't been easy mm -hmm. i mean because you know you work nine to five and then we work six to midnight and weekends depending as we were building yeah as we were acquiring properties renovating my husband is very hands-on i mean he can build a house from the floor up 
And so in the earlier years, he would he would do that. He would do all the renovations and and we'd work weekends. We'd drag the kids there and keep them occupied while we were fixing these properties and all that. Uh, but fast forward to me leaving my nine to five, all of the that's that blood, sweat, tears and sacrifice paid off. Mm. As I listen to your story, I'm curious what your perspective is on this. Um, because anyone could um, look at your story and then discount the fact that they don't have a spouse or they don't have a partner. Um, so I can't do that because she did it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. When you think about like your journey, right? In a side, I, I know like your partner has contributed heavily to like your sanity, your ability to push forward, complementing your skills. But when you think about your journey, what? How do you know that you would be where you are, or you would have reached the level that you could have done what you did by yourself? Or how do you know that your path was your was ordained for you? Because I'm hungry. Mm. I, I I live in gratitude, mm-hmm. and I'm tenacious. Mm. And what I also value is time. I collect hourglasses, and whenever I get to a place in my mind of you know, just questioning and pondering, I'll go around the house and flip one upside down Mm. to remind me of how quickly time passes Mm. and how we have to live intentionally in our movement, in our speech, in our relationships, in our work. So to answer your question, I believe based on my inner drive and, and my inner intuition and commitment to live my best life, and provide for not only you know my family but for myself with self-care self-growth um and 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 have aspirations to 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 fill my cup Mm -hmm. and then pour out that drives me to be the best that i can be and and so i i know single women who are in the real estate space killing it believing that they have that same inner fire Mm. that I will not be denied. I'm not going to be held back because I don't have a partner. And, you know, if I can be honest and transparent because of where my husband and I are in our life cycle, we're both 60, I'm 61. And, and in my, in my quiet time, I think about, you know, how I would move forward if, 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 if God took one of us first, if he took me first, Mm -hmm. because he's such an important part of our business he handles all the construction, all the renovation, all the contract, um, you know, interaction. Uh, but as we've matured, he has intentionally said to me, you know, this is where this is. This is where I'm talking to in case something happens to me. So he wants me to be successful and to continue to, you know, to share and grow. Uh, and I want the same for him. So as a, as a woman out here, uh, rolling solo, absolutely. It's all about, you know, you know, leaning in with your shoulders, putting your chin down, and just doing what you need to do to get it done. I will not be denied. It's so much about attitude. Mm-hmm. Uh, I used to have, I don't know if I still have that on my refrigerator. I got a lot of stuff on my refrigerator. But I used, and I used to share it with my children that um, attitude determines altitude. Mm-hmm. Attitude determines altitude. So it's so much about mindset, attitude. And as Tony Robbins says, like life and and, 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 and success and growth is 80% mental and 20% mechanics. 
I believe that is 80% mental and 20% mechanic. You know what, that, that, that speaks to me because it's so, so I'm a very logical person, right? Which is like the worst way to be because my gifts are so not logical, so not mechanical. But we try so hard to make things happen the way we want it to happen. Like we're literally like, okay, so if I do this, I do that, and then I do this. That's why, that's how everything's going to be fine. So when I think about your exit strategy, even, even me as a coach, uh, the, the client, of course, is coming specifically for the mechanics. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, so mm-hmm. what is my financial, what does my bank account need to look like? How do I set up my calendar? How do I manage my day job and my, and my nine to five? The mechanics, how do I post content? Um, how do I make my purpose show up, mm-hmm. right? And so when you say it, 20% mechanics and then 80%. 20%. Oh yeah, twenty percent mechanic, eighty percent mental. Yeah. What is that? What did that struggle look like for you? Have you have you always been, or did you find yourself ever in a position where you were trying to make things happen and you had to just let go, or have you always just kind of led with the knowing that eighty percent is just you know letting life happen? Mental. I, I think what has prepared me for. Um, you know, the adjustments and the pivoting, mm-hmm. the necessity for pivoting in life. Mm-hmm. I go back to my mother mm. and her teaching us to always ask the question, to always move forward with whatever it is, however, be prepared for a yes or a no. Right? So as we move through life, mm-hmm. being logical, be prepared for the what if. What if it doesn't go that way? Mm-hmm. Again, I learned chess at a very early age. And I think it leans back to that. Uh, being prepared for yes or no. Never be afraid to ask the question because if they say yes, the logic goes there. If they say no, then you know what the logic is there. And again, with, with, with other, you know, other things, as you decide to move, if that doesn't happen, okay, fine, then I'll do this. I, like I think that's it. helped me navigate and pivot. Yeah, because it allows you to be present. Exactly. Yeah. And not be so uh, like a deer in the spotlight. You said no. Oh, and you you know you shrink now. Now what? No, you're prepared for that yeah, answer. Exactly. Okay. About face. I'll do this. No sweat. No sweat. Now there is the the school of thought of you know burn the boats. It's just you're focused on one answer. Right. Because this is what I want. There is no plan B. As Will Smith would say, no, it's plan A and that's it. We going to die, you know, <laughs> on the treadmill. treadmill, right. <laughs> so, you know, I kind of differ from that perspective mm. in, in the spirit of what I just said, mm-hmm. the what ifs, if it's a yes or if it's a no. It's not always going to be a no, it's not gonna, always going to be a yes, but just being prepared yeah. mentally. Mm-hmm. You, you uh, we both read uh, The Big Leap. Mm-hmm. And one of the things in the beginning, it it literally says ask you one of four. It asks you four questions, but one of them is that um, are you committed to um, are you committed to enjoying more of your life? That's one of them. And are you committed to um, living happy every day? Mm-hmm. And I think what you said that resonates is like you committed to be your best self. Mm-hmm. You committed to like being this positive self. So for a lot of us, like, um, even though it's easy, it's like, of course, why, why would I not commit to being happy? 
What are those like inner inner thoughts that you have, like it, whether it's like a self doubt or um, imposter syndrome, or how do you face those times when the mind does try to t- take us and create a false narrative, and you have to deliberately choose to be happy? Absolutely, that's an awesome question, and that's that's life. That is real. Whoo! I'm reminded of my younger son is an HBO spoken word artist. And so, you know, during the height of that career for him, uh, I encountered a lot of poets. And this young lady, never forget, it was in Chicago. They won the championship or whatever, um, Brave New Voices. And this young lady was on stage. She gave this poem that just resonates in my soul. And she made a statement that we are what we eat. Metaphorically, we are what we eat. So I am constantly feeding my psyche and my soul and my mind, right? And when or if I hit a speed bump in life where there is self-doubt, mm-hmm. and I have recently, to be honest, I have recently, right? Mm-hmm. Imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. syndrome. We're, mm-hmm. dream, we're dream builders. Like, because I've started this new business, I'm a landlord strategist. Um, Yes, I have 30 years experience. I have a 0% eviction rate. We have created all of these wonderful systems. I've introduced myself to the community. I've been well received. But there is like, you know, a vessel in my soul like, okay, Kim, woo. (laughs) You know, know, do you have it really? Do you know what you're doing? Uh, and, And so when I get to those places, mm-hmm. when I got to that place mm-hmm. uh, in recent months, I have to go inwardly and, and just, you know, eat and feed on, um, you know, positive messaging, reading, mm-hmm. uh, meditating. I do a lot of exercising. Um, you know, I go for bike rides. Yeah. I go for runs and, and really just talk to myself and talk to myself and say, damn girl, you know what? You got it going on. You need to stop this. Yeah. You need to really you know, climb out of this little um, valley that you're in right now and get back on the road and pour into the community. Yes. Because I want to be, as Les Brown says, I want to live full and die empty. Yes. I want to live full and die empty. And Kim, you need to get back out there and pour into this community so that you can leave a legacy Mm -hmm. of knowledge and growth and foundation for others as you have been afforded. So come on, pop yeah. the collar. Yes. And let's get, get it. Yes. Yes. Now you have 30 years of a career. So self-doubt, we all have different relationships with self-doubt and um, and imposter syndrome. You have 30 and imposter syndrome typically only comes to people who have achieved things, right? And for some reason we have to like remind ourselves that. Um so you have the 30 you have 30 years literally building um, organizations and for those of you guys who haven't checked out Wisdom Wednesday, that is one of those things where I'm actually gonna pop it because I don't know if <clears throat> I don't know if that interrupts the recording or not, but I'm gonna start back there. Okay. So for those of you guys who haven't seen Wisdom Wednesday, um, we got a chance to hear that you've you've been able to like build organizations within organizations, right? Mm-hmm. So you have a, a huge platform to stand on. So even to hear that self doubt and, and insecurities come up for you, that makes like it makes us it makes me feel normal, right? Because um, I have thirty years 
living, right? <laughs> yes, yes, my daughter, my new daughter, right? So when I think about um, the things that get me out of my funk, it's uh, one, I, I do a lot of inner work, but I have a bit, I have a bit of a relationship with external validation in this space. Um, because, uh, I started my coaching career probably a year ago and my thoughts were similar. Like, okay, I've done this. Can I teach it? Mm -hmm. And I think I did it scared the whole time because it wasn't until someone actually told me how, what, it, what it was that, that helped them that made me feel like, okay, I can finally do it. I'd been doing it for about a year before I finally got like my first clear testimonial. Mm -hmm. And so my relationship with external validation is still a bit symbiotic right now. Like it's my internal no, uh, voice is strong, but that external validation still feels important to me right now. What's your relationship with external validation? I think as humans, we naturally gravitate towards external validation, mm -hmm. right? And depending on our personality and our, you know, our psyche uh, determines whether or not we really, really rely on that versus it feels good. Thank you so much. Right. Um, mm. And for me, someone said to me recently, you know, in like a girlfriend type of environment um, and she leaned in and she said, you know, you're anointed. And I heard her, she's like, everything you touch turns to gold. And I said, you know, it was just like a gratitude type of, you know, exchange. Um, so that's external validation that I don't seek. However, when it comes, it's a compliment mm -hmm. and it's a reassurance that the hand of God is working in my life. Yeah. And that, you know, I'm being obedient. I don't seek external gratification because of the self-confidence that I have in who I am mm -hmm. and what I offer and what I bring to the table. Uh, I'm reminded of the, the title of a book called Never Eat Alone. But, mm, but I love that book. Yeah, yeah. Um, but to say that, like, I enjoy me, myself, and I. I'm really friendly with them, which is why I can travel solo. Like we do all the things that we like to do. There's no conflict. And so getting back to that self-confidence, uh, I'm real, you know, I'm, 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 I'm secure in knowing that I'm doing 120% to build a strong me. Mm -hmm. So when I get the external um, validation, it's, it's like icing on a cake. You know, I'm not, um, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, I'm not egotistical or, you know, bodacious. Like, yeah, I know. Mm -hmm. No, 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 no. Yeah. Because just like that fluke fall in 2018, yes. it can be taken away just like that, yeah. I believe, uh -huh. based on my spiritual teaching and understanding, if we are too um, boastful. Too boastful, mm -hmm. thank you. Yeah, too boastful, too cocky, mm -hmm. too, yeah. Yeah, it, it is me. No, it ain't, it ain't me. Yeah, yep, that is true. I never want my helium to ever get too big because somebody else could pop it and... Um, and that's just not the way I, I want to live. But what you just said that was reassuring for me, I just wrote this affirmation down um, after talking to my coach to 
strengthen my foundation inside. Mm-hmm. And it was the affirmation is that um, I receive compliments as a as an like um, add on, mm-hmm. right? Not that it makes me, mm-hmm. but that it's icing on the cake, like you said. So it makes me feel like okay, that came out of my own brain, and I'm reassuring myself. And like you said, there's no conflict around your me, myself, and I. To have that alignment is what I aspire to have, and and I think a lot of us should aspire to be in alignment with the me, myself, and I, right? Mm-hmm. Internally, and then whenever validation comes externally, it's just like thank you, gratitude. Yes. But it doesn't like make you who you are. Your image, the image of yourself, isn't wrapped up in someone else's feedback. Right, right. And then for me, I went on a gratitude journey mm. about eight years ago where I, again, just sat and reflected on my career and my journey. Mm-hmm. I wanted to acknowledge individuals, like the one who, who made the call and wanted me to introduce someone. Uh, and, and so I, I wanted to acknowledge individuals who saw, individuals in my career, yes, uh, who had saw things in me that I didn't see in myself and tapped me on the shoulder and gave me opportunities. And I, I did that. That's a, that right there is amazing. I remember when you first told me that it is, it's one thing to like write a thank you letter and then close your journal and never send it. Mm-hmm. But for you to outpour externally and just pour, pour into people, I feel like that can like pay dividends. If it, not that you did it for dividends, mm-hmm. but that energy, mm-hmm. you put so much energy out into people from, I want to say one of your first people, yes. people in the career, your first career. Yes. That, that. Well, it was, yeah, the transition into the career, but that job where I worked for that, that photography expo company Mm -hmm. and, um, the, the general manager at the time saw something in me, tapped me on the shoulder and, and gave me an opportunity to get into production. Right. Um, and here again, the hand of God, oh my gosh, I had lost contact with him. Uh, I was shopping. And I was leaving the store as I was walking out. These two women were walking in chatting and I recognized the voice. It was his wife. Mm. And I went back in and I said, excuse me, what's your name? And she looked at me. She said, June, I'm like, oh my gosh, I've been looking for Steve. And we got into this conversation. I said, I, I wanted to reach out to him and da, 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 da. She said he would love to hear from you. And I did. I called him out of the blue and we had this conversation and I told him what my objective was and he literally started crying on the phone. He got so emotional. I said, I want to thank you. I want to thank you yeah. because that was a great, you know, strike of the match for me in my career growth and ended up taking him and his wife out to dinner. You know, I gave her flowers and I gave her a gift and he was again, you know, just very emotional. Um, and that was, that was when my second son was born. So that was back in, in 89 mm-hmm. when I, you know, went for, wrote that cover letter yeah. and, and got that position at the University of Penn. I left that company. So that was, uh, you know, 30, 32 years ago. I went back and said, Hey, I appreciate you. That's amazing. People don't do that. Um, it's, it's hearing stories like that. You can have me and anybody else who watches this going on a gratitude journey. And I think that that's a huge, like a, a pebble in the, the pond, right? To create that ripple effect. Mm-hmm. Because you've done it and maybe you had the inkling to do it from someone else. 
Did you have the inkling to do it from someone else, or was that just something in your your whole your soul? You said no. I, I again, I pour in a lot to my psyche. <laughs> I believe, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Tony Robbins talks about mm. yeah, calling people mm-hmm. and touching bases with people who have touched you along your journey. I believe that's mm-hmm. where I got that concept from. But even still, and you know this, and people who go who t- attend start seminars and things like that. Only one percent truly like apply the mm-hmm. information. So I think you living what you speak, what you preach. My words are this morning. You living what you preach. You yeah. you living what you soak in. Um, that's the amazing piece about it, and that's the positivity that the world needs. So when I think about like just the impact. You're only half, you're like halfway there. Give us another sixty-one, please. <laughs> like that was literally the magnet, magnanimous, like the type of effect that you can have on people, just based on what you already know. And and that that drives my my passion and my commitment to this landlord training mm-hmm. is 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 planting the seeds mm-hmm. uh, in the souls of landlords and real estate investors to you know to bolster you know their their existing intentions to be in this space mm-hmm. uh, but bolster it with with some more um, strategy and mindset set mindsets I can't talk now and considerations about the role that they play mm-hmm. in that relationship mm-hmm. and I talk about landlord tenant as a relationship mm-hmm. and in my training I talk about it specifically as a marriage and I correlated with that, mm-hmm. and and how the lease is the prenup, okay, that has clauses and conditions that you have both agreed upon, right? And you each sign that prenup, i.e., that lease, and you go on into that relationship, and hopefully it's a long relationship, uh, and it's a healthy relationship, and that you both respect each other in that relationship. Now, you know the dark side of that. Scenario is when one does not respect the prenup and somebody cheats, somebody sneaks somebody into the house. Gotcha. You know, you don't pay on time. Mm-hmm. And then that relationship is disrupted and somebody has to speak on it, typically the landlord, and just hold the tenant accountable. Yeah. Okay, this is what we agreed upon now. You have broken that promise yeah. and we have to address it. Uh, sometimes you can work through it, as in relationships, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And in other times, there is an impact. And you have to divorce each other, i.e. an eviction. Yes. It's emotional. It's not nice. It's not fun. And so, you know, I'm teaching the concepts and the rudiments and the practical tools to to avoid that divorce, to avoid that eviction. So I'm doing the pre-work. So that you can have as many, as many, um, you know, uh, safeguards uh, and relationship building, building a tenant community, not just getting a heartbeat with some money to get into your property. Right. So, you know, I want to teach some of the rudiments and foundations about what's your psychology as a landlord. Mm -hmm. Understand the psychology of your tenant, getting deeper into the relationship building. And the foundation. We're not even going to talk about tenant screening, but that's just a little snapshot about the relationship that 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 I think is important to understand. If you say you want to do this, and how and the impact, positive and negative, that it can have on your business if you don't take it seriously. Yeah, 
the I, I think I'm curious about the mindset development from a landlord perspective. You've spent your your career building your property, so you've been a landlord. You know the highs and the lows. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure you've had to overcome some mindset shifts yourself. Mm-hmm. So now um, that you teach them, like kind of that it's a marriage. I feel like that's one hurdle, like from them to go from this is a warm body with money to like, oh no, this is a relationship. I feel like that's, of course, one mindset shift. Mm-hmm. But when you notice like um, landlords out here reminding you of your old self when you were a landlord, like a big, a new landlord, what's like that major mindset shift that you really help landlords overcome that really changes their trajectory? That you have to run this like a business. Mm. This is not a hobby. <clears throat> this is not a side hustle. Mm-hmm. Property management and landlording is not a side hustle. It is not a set it and forget it situation. Unfortunately, in some cases, you know, investors see it as a set it and forget it. Oh, I got that tenant in there. Make sure that my money's coming in every month. Bam. You know, I'm going on to something else. Uh, I don't see it that way. Mm-hmm. We have not built our success that way. We have not you know, been afforded, afforded a 30-year 0% eviction rate based on a set it and forget it. You have to, you have to uh, cater to your customers. Customer service is big. So again, running like a business, uh, just the basics. What's your business structure? Do you have, you know, um, uh, software in place to, um, to track your income and your expenses? Like, you mm-hmm. know, you got to run it like a business. And Many people find themselves owning rental properties for different reasons. Mm-hmm. They can inherit the property, they can be given the property, or they can outright purchase the property. And depending on their point of entry, sometimes determines how they um, how they look at it, how they treat that encounter yeah. uh, as a business or just as a side something. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to to make the mindset shift. Yeah. Uh, in in that regard if you're going to be a true landlord because we don't like those other folks those slumlords come yeah. on they make it look bad for the rest of us right who are doing phenomenal work um we're working you know we're both dream builders working on our webinar funnels and we're working on getting testimonials right yeah written and 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 video testimonials we have testimonials from our tenants like phenomenal testimonials and that's that's the level of thinking and accolades that I want uh, the the investors and landlords that I'm coaching and teaching to get to. You want to get good reviews. You yeah. want to get great testimonials, um, and you want to build strong relationships with your tenants. Now, I have a motto. There's the Ten Commandments of Landlording that I share in my in my training, and one of them is, I'm friendly, but I'm not your friend. Ooh, that released me. <laughs> I'm friendly, but I'm not your friend. (laughs) Yeah. Because we're playing our our position. Mm -hmm. It's like a basketball game. We're playing our position. And and so I'm going to be responsive and respectful of you, but I'm going to play my position and I'm going to be friendly. But when when I have to be uh, very clear and and to the point and hold you to the prenup, Mm -hmm. I'm going to do that. I'm not mad at it. I think that's a more empowering way to manage that relationship. And I know a lot of people who feel like property management is their exit strategy. They do think about it as a set it and forget it type business. Um, Their relationship with retirement is such that I feel like 
I invest in something and I get to go sit on the beach somewhere while my money collects itself. But in this in this regard, it sounds like you have a whole new way to look at your relationships and it's an empowering like way to engage with a new business strategy. So for people who like were to sign up with you, like, okay, I wanna sign I wanna get become a better landlord, or really I just wanna I want my tenants to act right. I feel like that's probably more so the mm-hmm. perspective. I want my tenants to act right. But then for them to learn how to change their mindset, I feel like they become reinvigorated by and then even want to participate more in the business as opposed to like, I want to set it and forget it. I just want to like have my retirement and just be comfortable somewhere without ever touching that property again. And, and you're absolutely right. Another mind shift strategy that I teach is called this. I want you to think like a farmer. Mm-hmm. Think like a farmer. Okay. In that in that setting, it's about the seed, the soil, and the harvest. Right? And so I see the seed, the soil, and the harvest. The seed is your, your asset. It's that rental property. That's the seed. The soil is what you put in that property, the type of tenant, right? The condition of that property, making sure that it's, you know, it's, 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 it's a quality environment for someone to live in. The harvest is the cash flow. The harvest is the reward. Yeah. So if you plant the seed in good soil, you're going to get the harvest. But if you plant the seed in bad soil, not a good tenant, They've got all kind of red flags mm-hmm. and they're just a heartbeat with money. Mm-hmm. That's not good soil. Yeah. You're not going to get the harvest. You might get the harvest for a minute, but then there's a hiccup in the soil mm-hmm. and you've got to evict or you've got drama, you've got emotion, you've got problems. And then the, the harvest is, is not giving you the full harvest that you could get. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, you know, one of the, one of the, one of the strategies that I teach. I like it. And it's, it rings for me, it rings patience because you have the, the, um, the, um, I want to say the, the sand, the time, what do we call the time, the timers, the sand? Oh, what is, hourglasses. I yes. My mind, <laughs> the hourglasses, you have the hourglasses, right? Mm-hmm. People sign up with you because they want to get to the money. Mm-hmm. They want their tenants to act right immediately. They have planted seeds and maybe not so good soil, right? Mm-hmm. But what you're saying is, hey, you can get the benefits that you desire. Mm-hmm. You just have to invest in these relationships and allow time to give you the harvest. Whereas a lot of times it's that initial people want that. It sounds like you're experiencing what a lot of us experience, which is clients wanting that in immediate return on investment. Where it takes time, you have to invest in whatever it is that you want to reap. Absolutely, absolutely. And then the other side of the coin to your earlier comment about um, you know people thinking that they can instead of forget it, be on the beach and the money just comes. Mm-hmm. Everybody is not cut out to self-manage their properties. Mm. And I understand that and I acknowledge that. So uh, perhaps you 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 understand your personality. And I've coached landlords who have said, I'm too nice. I don't, I don't really want to do this. I'm too nice. Um, and they want to hire a property manager, which is fine. You acknowledge you don't have the skill set. You acknowledge you don't have the, the acumen or the emotion to do it. So you want to hire someone. I teach you how to, again, think of this like a business and 
what to ask and how to vet a property manager because that property management company is representing you as an owner of that property, right? Mm -hmm. It's not their property. At the end of the day, if um, you've provided the seed, you hire a property manager to, to, to nurture the soil, to find a tenant, to manage that tenant, and you expect a harvest. And if there's a hiccup in the nurturing of that tenant or the selection of that tenant by the property management company, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, your name is on the line. Mm -hmm. So I'm teaching landlords that you have to, you have to interview, you have to source, you have to interview, you have to vet that property management company. You have to research their, their, um, their business psychology, how they operate. You know, is it acceptable to you? Is it in line with your business ideology and mm -hmm. strategy? Mm -hmm. It's not just, you know, finding a, a company in the yellow page and say, okay, I'm going to go with them because people operate their businesses differently. Yeah. Uh, so that's an important acknowledgement that perhaps you are not set up to self-manage, but don't take lightly of hiring a property management company. So, you know, I hold their hand through that process as well. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, Thinking about what you're saying, like I'm, so I'm in school for social work and um, there are uh, social issues that I haven't, I didn't necessarily know about before I started to learn uh, social work, one being evictions. Mm -hmm. And um, when I, when we talked about purpose the other day, um, I'm listening to your story and I'm curious if you acknowledge or if you read a lot about like some of the um social injustices and do you see yourself as, as what you're doing playing a huge role in that because it just sounds like if you do your job right there are better landlords mm -hmm. there are um, better tenant landlord relationships mm -hmm. equals less evictions um equals you know less homeless people yes and that's yes. how logically <laughs> that's yes. how it makes sense to me yes is that one of the driving forces do you often read about homelessness or evictions that happen kind of wrongful evictions and things like that absolutely <clears throat> absolutely there are just just so many stories out here yeah. um food shelter and clothing are the necessities mm -hmm. and so i'm in the shelter game right mm -hmm. i'm always reading and researching and hearing stories um just recently I heard a story, you know, by one of our, you know, one of our colleagues, uh, and, and her journey of, of moving, you know, almost 10 times, uh, in a period of years because of landlords. Mm. And I heard those stories, uh, and it's just heart wrenching, like, dang, why don't y'all, come on landlords, why are you treating people like this? It's not fair. Um, it's, it's not fair. It's not fair. And so I believe that who you are as a person mm -hmm. comes through in your business. And when you have landlords that are slumlords that are treating people wrong mm -hmm. and, and not being honest and fair, uh, it is a reflection of who they are. Everybody's not on the up and up. Everybody's not honest with high integrity and morals and all that kind of stuff. We have to face that in the world. So actually I have an idea uh, in my training to talk about uh, not only the psychology of the tenant for the landlord's sake, mm -hmm. but just talk about the psychology of the tenant in their role as a tenant mm -hmm. and, and, you know, what their ask is and what their desire is and what their need is, which is stability, cleanliness, and consistency in the space in which they live. 
uh, and recognizing that uh, as as a landlord. And 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 so I have <laughs> I have a landlord oath that you can come to my website and take the landlord oath. You know, I declare, I promise to uphold it um, because it's it's an important role. Eviction. Fortunately, we've never faced it, but I've read a lot about it, mm-hmm. and it's emotional. Yeah, it's it's tearing someone from the place that they call home. Yeah, um, homelessness. I I can't imagine it, but um, you know, I I just you know, I just I, I I'm prayerful for anyone who faces that, mm-hmm. and you know, it's so much about economics. Yeah, and and someone's ability to. Um, you know, be consistent, you know, economically and fulfill their responsibilities. But then too, if you're living in substandard, a substandard environment, uh, and, and I've read about individuals or tenants who live in substandard environments dealing with the damn slumlord because they can't afford anything else. Yeah. Or, you know, their economic road has been so bumpy that they don't have options out there. Mm-hmm. And so that's heart wrenching and real. In our in our world in our society, I don't want to be on the side of the landlord that um, is providing substandard housing or is not responsive. Mm-hmm. And we've gotten those tenants who have applied for our units, uh, who, who you know look at us like, wow, okay, mm-hmm. you get back to me like in fifteen minutes, or you'll be here tomorrow. I'll call my landlord. I might not hear from them for a week, and I say, what? Mm. Like what? That is crazy. Why would someone do that? Yeah. Uh, but motivation, motivation is a is a big driver to our actions. Yeah. And if if a landlord is motivated by money, yeah. And not really about the 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 the, the important role that they play in providing, uh, you know, a quality environment, um, in offering customer service and all of those check marks that are in our playbook, then you're going to get uh, the product that you do. So what I would say to tenants is just like we we have a clear eight step how you screen a tenant. What I would say to tenants is you need a checklist on you screening landlords. Nice. I mean, I go deep in our training on the steps of screening a tenant. I'm checking social media. I'm Googling. I'm doing background checks. I'm doing all that. Right. Conversely, I would say to the tenant, you need to do that in reference to that landlord. To see who you're getting, who who you're marrying. Exactly, I was gonna say, yeah, who you're marrying. Yes. You, you know, come on now. And and so if if a tenant did that, they may uh, you know curtail some of the dire um, experiences that that they encounter. Yeah, I think I I, I agree. I think uh, some people um, in the substandard housing, like you were talking about, maybe there's a mindset shift for tenants who. Similar to job seekers, right? Everyone wants to be wanted. Everybody wants to be approved, right? And we don't often, we don't evaluate evaluate jobs, companies. We don't evaluate landlords. We're just, just, we kind of put ourselves in a submissive standpoint. And so a mindset shift to say, no, this is where you're going to live. Mm-hmm. This You deserve to have um, a home and a landlord who's going to tend to your needs and actually be attentive and things like that. Mm-hmm. That's a whole that's a whole nother training that you could have. What would be cool, and this is just an idea, so you might have already thought about it, but for your landlords 
to host things for their tenants so that the tenants can be better tenants, right? So as you guys talk about the psychology of the tenant from a landlord's perspective and the psychology of the tenant, just simply, hey, you want a better life for yourself. I think that education and that social aspect of like holding workshops or doing things that are above the board, like above and beyond what you have to do as a landlord would educate more people about how to be better tenants. I agree. And what I'll add to that is a couple of years ago, we implemented um, a tenant appreciation mm. campaign. Yes. And what I did was I wrote gift cards, $25 gift cards for all of our tenants. Uh, first of the year, happy new year. Thank you for being an awesome tenant because we only have awesome tenants. And I recall going to purchase all of these gift cards and the cashier saying, Ooh, somebody's going to get a lot of nice gifts. I said, Oh yeah. I said, they're for our tenants. Mm -hmm. She said, your tenants, they should be paying you rent or whatever. And I said, you're right. I said, however, our psychology is, I'm appreciative of you, of being a good tenant, being consistent with your payments, protecting our assets because you live there every day, mm -hmm. right? They are in business with us. They are, our tenants are our business partners. They are taking care of our assets. Yeah. They they reach out to us if there's any kind of issues with our assets because that that's the training that we've taken them through. If you have any issues, call us, right? So they're protecting our assets. They're paying on time. Mm -hmm. They're responsive. And we have a, a, a harmonious relationship. I want to reward that. I want to reward that. And, you know, they open that card. Happy New Year. You've been an awesome tenant. And by the way, here's $25 gift card. I haven't, you know, I don't have a videotape of the face when they open the card, but I have to imagine that that they feel appreciated. Yes. At the end of the day, mm -hmm. they feel appreciated. I would I would be less likely to dodge you if I <laughs> if you did that for me, and if I did dodge you, I would feel really bad for it mm -hmm. because you you don't deserve it. So I feel like you're creating, you know, you're pouring you're pouring seeds into the relationship where it makes a person accountable to you, right? Like mm -hmm. I cannot if you you just kind you do a kind gesture i feel kind of like i need to be my best self you know what i mean step it up and and during our screening process i talk about uh to our tenants and i'm thinking about this one young couple that we we've actually rented three of our units during covid mm. and 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 so you know i'm meeting with this young couple because of covid i have pulled back on some of the interaction but i've used zoom to interview my tenants, you know, mm -hmm. the short list that our leasing agent gives us mm -hmm. of people who apply. And, uh, you know, I'm sharing with them our business philosophy, who we are, how we run our companies, and that, you know, we actually select tenants to be a part of our tenant community. It's like Willy Wonka and, you know, the, 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 the golden ticket. Oh, the golden ticket. The golden ticket. They want to be one they of those. They want to be one yes, of those. Yes, yes. And let me just say, once I approve them, and in their correspondence, they emailed to me. They said, we are so happy that we are part of your tenant community. Like, you know, yes. it, it's this, you know, ambition to, to, to be a part of. So, I love it. again, it's setting the tone mm -hmm. and how you interact mm -hmm. uh, with your tenants. And I'll also say when COVID hit, mm -hmm. right, and we realized that it was a thing, um, I picked up the phone and called every one of our tenants personally and asked the question. And I shut up. How you doing? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you ask opening questions, people are going to respond to you. Mm -hmm. And each one of our tenants responded to us about how they were, you know, job-wise, mm -hmm. health-wise. Mm -hmm. And, you know, everyone was fine. 
going back to my mother's teaching of asking the question, being prepared for a yes or a no. Yes. I was prepared when I asked the opening question. And what I was prepared for was hoping that everyone was okay, number one. Mm -hmm. But knowing if they weren't, and based on our relationship, that we're in this together. And fortunately, you know, my husband and I have built a, a business where we're not over leveraged mm -hmm. and that we got you. Why? Because you've been consistent, mm -hmm. you're paying your rent, you've been taking care of our asset, and you've been responsive. So here we are in this place in our society where we've never been before, and you may be in an uncomfortable situation where you've lost your job. Yeah. We got you. Mm. Mm -mm -mm. That's golden. Uh, there are a lot of people who, you know, passed away in their homes and no one checked on them. Uh, got COVID and again, no one checked on them. So to have a landlord who's able to stay in contact with their uh, tenants when a lot of times people aren't even connected with their families, yeah. that's that means a lot. So when I think about <clears throat> your journey, um, and we, we did, we talked a lot about the tactical stuff on Wisdom Wednesday, even though you shared a lot of wisdom. Um, what I also want to just kind of speak to is the strategy, the strategic way that you think and that you build business. It's relationship development, but then you're also very grounded in like the business aspect of things, right? Um, so when I think about this question, it's, it's really about folks, your landlords again, kind of going back to people who want to use being a landlord as an exit strategy um, or as their retirement strategy. And they're trying to figure out like, how do I do it? A lot of times you speak from purpose, you speak from a spiritual perspective, um, but I would love to hear your thoughts for like advice for someone who's using this strategy to become an exit strategy or to become a retirement strategy. What's your advice to making their big leap? What is something that you think they should prepare themselves to do before they jump into bed with becoming a landlord? as a part of their strategy. Oh my gosh. Uh, again, it's, it's the head game, mm -hmm. doing the research, reading as much as possible, mm -hmm. uh, connecting with organizations that are in line with real estate, investing, landlording, right. You know, create your, your uh, network. So you've got to constantly educate yourself and even, uh, in seeking out a coach or a mentor or, you know, asking follow up questions to people that you're curious about who are doing it. Don't come empty. Yeah. Have, have done, I don't know if that came out right, but you know, show that you've done some research, that you've put in some time to this thing. Uh, and that's going to carry you mm. throughout. I'm constantly reading. I'm constantly, you know, reading articles and books, et cetera. So again, that lifetime student, um, that's going to be your foundation because as you read, explore and network, you're going to come across different ideas and strategies yeah. uh, and depending on your personality, depending on your economics, uh, is going to determine your point of engagement, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. If you're going to be a wholesaler, if you're going to be a flipper, if you're going to be a buy and hold type of investor. So, uh, you've got to research and, and begin to build your house one brick at a time. Yeah. Uh, and to figure out what your strategy is going to be. I always say to young people, uh, when I can in reference to real estate investing, uh, when they get out into the world and they're in financial position, buy a duplex or a triplex. Mm -hmm. Like I know renting 
is a thing. Mm -hmm. But if you're financially positioned to acquire something, buy a duplex or triplex as your first property. You live in one unit, you rent out the other two. Yes. But prior to the acquisition, you're pouring in. Mm -hmm. You're educating yourself on what that whole um, engagement is like. Yes. Being a landlord, right? Mm -hmm. And depending on how you want to interface with it, do you want to be the face on the property as a landlord, or do you want to bring in a third party to separate yourself? You know what I'm saying? But 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 at least you're positioning yourself financially yes. to then leverage that into maybe another duplex or a triplex. And having the first acquisition, you've got cash flow coming in. Mm -hmm. You're building equity in the asset that you can leverage to buy the next property and then the next property. And then maybe your forever home. I don't know. But yeah. uh, it's, it's so much about strategy, discipline, commitment, and focus. Mm. And not to forget about those relationships. And relationships. Yes. Because it, it sounds like it doesn't matter what age someone is. Like if they're interested in becoming a landlord and they want to do it right. Mm -hmm. And even if they're like um, impact driven people. Because there are a lot, a lot of millennials are impact driven. So if you really want to truly change the world. Um, not in a non-profit way. Like truly from a like even I would say capitalist way. Like. Being a part of the That's market. That's not a dirty word. No, We right? live in a capitalist society. <laughs> and, and I, yeah, unfortunately, interact with, based on my social media mm -hmm. interaction now that I've come out. And, mm -hmm. and it's, it's an interesting place to be, you know, this one-year journey of starting Legacy Real Estate Consulting and doing landlord teaching and being on social media and, um, and becoming transparent and vulnerable. I do get, or I have gotten responses from adverse you know audiences who are uh anti-landlords mm -hmm. you know we're house hoarders you're just keeping you know beating beating down that image of landlords and i'm saying hold up wait a minute that's not us okay um but um my point is that you have to understand your position and and know to your point about you know being humanitarian or conscious about the social impact but the fact that we live in a capitalist society so why are you beating up on me mm -hmm. because I'm working the system it's like the tax system is, is designed for business owners yeah and I think I shared with you or someone <clears throat> I was sharing with my um with my granddaughter recently the benefit that she has of having grandparents to talk to her about the difference between a w-2 mm -hmm. and being in business and when we correlate that to the tax code, it's written for business owners. Yeah. So, you know, it's just, just it's like a big ball yeah. of wax that we are in, in this thing called life. And we just have to feel our way through and find our place. And you do it so beautifully. Can I, so this is a fun question. How did you start your locks? Because you're like a, one, you're already a well-dressed landlord. So you're breaking that stereotype. You, you bring the positive energy, so you break that stereotype, and then you got the locks. So my, my, this is probably more of a fun question before before we go, because I have to know, like, kind of I project. I'm like, hmm, what would I look like out in my future when I keep my locks? Will I be still like, well, I know I'm going to be still like positive spirited and things like that, but mm -hmm. what was your journey to start your lock journey? So this is my second lock journey. Really? Yes, yes. I had locks probably, um, I don't know. 25 years ago mm -hmm. 
and uh, it was an interesting journey. It wasn't a fulfilling journey as it is now, mm-hmm. uh, because as Muslim, I was covered, so I wore my hair covered all the time. So I wasn't as uh, tidy and neat and maintenance uh, purpose with my locks then, and they really didn't mature like I wanted them to, so I cut them off. In mm-hmm. uh, 2010 is actually when I stopped covering. And it was actually the first time that I colored my hair. Mm. And it was the time that I, I locked. And and so I moved into it um, with a different spirit, a different purpose, a different commitment. Mm-hmm. Uh, I worked in a corporate environment, so I knew that it was going to be tight and right because I'm sitting in boardrooms and with governors yes. and, you know, all sorts of people. So yeah. I want to represent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's been a great journey. I trim them at least once a year. I don't want them really, really long, and I'm enjoying them. I have great locticians in my circle nice. that take care of me and know that uh, I, I like to be tight and right. I love it. <laughs> I had to ask, um, because one of the big things when we transition into entrepreneurship, when we leave corporate period, is because we want to be able to wear our natural hair. Mm. We want to be able to just be ourselves. And I, I don't know if you know this, but just you be the way you be. It's like you are truly yourself. Like you are yourself in the way that you speak. You speak spiritual, but then you lace it in with the business. You're super positive. And then you got the locks. So it's a really, and you have, you dress really well, right? So this is, so a little backstory with that. It was a compliment of what you just said. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned I'm Muslim. And um, so during this past 23 year career with the state of New Jersey, mm-hmm. being in many, many different rooms at very high levels mm-hmm. and covering as a Muslim, Yo, this is me. Mm, this that's is an even me. bigger one. This is me, and this is me, mm-hmm. because this is me. Okay? <laughs> and I bring a value that you're obviously recognizing, but this is me. Um, what I'll also say is I've been blessed uh, to have a mother that's a fashion designer, and I mentioned earlier in introducing myself that I'm a serial entrepreneur, so I have a fashion design company, mm-hmm. Amina Designs. Mm. A-M-E-E-N-A-H designs.com. You can go to my website. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so I, um, as an artist, uh, discovered that my medium was not paint on the canvas, but it was fabric on the body. And I was able to express myself and build a fashion uh, design company. So I'm very fashion forward. I'm a fashionista. When I was in the corporate environment covering, trust me, Everything was matching. Yeah, the head wrap was head wrap was matching <laughs> the shirt and the whole yes. hookup. So you know, I was always tight and right and presentable. Mm-hmm. Now, if you could not see past that and forego the value and the talent that I'm bringing to you, mm-hmm. then that's your loss. Yeah, that's, mm. that's your loss. And and when I you know when I decided to uncover in 2010 because I was at a crossroads road spiritually. Uh, it was going to be tight and right, and it was locked. I'm mad at it. I am not mad at it. Listen, Miss Kim, I have really enjoyed your story. I've enjoyed getting to know you in different ways. I've enjoyed getting to know you off camera. Um, spiritually, you definitely feed like me and others, I'm sure, who you come in contact with. So um, it just gives all of us, for me, it grounds me in the work that I do um, because I want to be responsible in 
helping people navigate that exit, right? Not mm-hmm. being too quick to make a decision, mm-hmm. not being uh, being able to just wait on the hourglass to just like to go. You can't rush the sand. Mm-hmm. You can't. So doing the do, doing your due diligence, developing your skills, everything that you have done in your journey. I just love it, and it pack, you package it up so well. So thank you so much for sharing your story. And I have one final question. It's for people who want to live an authentic life, right? I think when it all boils down to it, this entire conversation is you living your authentic life. Um, and I know that there's a battery pack in your bag that's fueled by, um, you have to tell us what it's fueled by. Um, but when you, think back to, when you think about the people who want to live a more authentic life, they want to transition. They want to take their big leap. What's your word of wisdom to them so that they can take their big leap and, and start living their authentic life the way you do? It's something that, that, that people have probably heard before, but to thyself be true. To thyself be true. You know, whether you're in a relationship or not, um, but really be truthful to yourself about what you like, what you don't like, and... And be prepared to put in the work mentally, physically, and tangibly to put yourself in a position financially, mentally, or spiritually that's going to give you the ability to exit whatever the situation is. Mm-hmm. You know, so to thyself be true. We, we have to be committed to that because only we can provide our happiness. Only us. We can't. Mm-hmm. We can't rely on any external to provide our happiness. Um, so that, that that's what I would say. Just just strive to be true to yourself. And sometimes you got to make hard decisions so that you can maintain your happiness. Um, and it might not be easy, but without, without peace of mind, and I'll go back to my mother again. From a very early age, she always taught us about being open-minded and having peace of mind. So to thyself be true. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the couch today. You're absolutely you. welcome. Um, for, and thank you guys for listening. Thank you for watching. Now, for anyone who is watching and they want to get connected with you, they want to work with you, or they just want to just follow your journey, how can the folks connect with you? On Instagram at LLDOCS30. That's on Instagram. On Facebook, you can follow me at Kim Bab. That's B-A-B-B as in boy. And if you want to check out my fashion design brand, my website is www.ameenahdesign.com. Wonderful. Well, you know what to do. Go ahead and check out those resources. Everything will be in the description below. Thank you again for listening. Thank you for watching. And until next week, peace out. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> You're so warm. Fire. Thank you so much. This is going to be really good. You're welcome, my dear, for the invite. Oh. My nose started running a little bit. Oh, I, I hope it wasn't too obvious. No, it wasn't that. It wasn't at all, but here you are, just in case. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Let me stop this. Let me take turn the mic off. Is the mic hot? That- <laughs>